I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of John as we're going to be in chapter 5 this morning and we're continuing a sermon series following the life of Jesus chronologically from the manger to the cross to his ascension into heaven. So throughout this series we're going to move, be moving through the different gospels as we put the message of Jesus together from start to finish. And this morning we're going to be focused on a very familiar story in the ministry of Jesus, a story that, that gives us a glimpse at the healing power of Jesus, but deeper we find the salvation that the Lord offers through our study this morning. On the surface, it's easy to read these verses and, and see physical healing because that's something that, that Jesus does as he moves throughout the area of, of Galilee and Samaria and, and into Judea throughout his ministry, physical healing is, is custom wherever he goes. But as we've discovered over the last few weeks, God is more concerned about the healing of our soul than he is about the healing of our body. Amen? Turn with me. We're in John chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 15 this morning in a message that I've titled, The Healing of Our Hearts. There were a few holidays on the Jewish calendar that would require the men in the area around Jerusalem to attend the celebration in Jerusalem. If you were over 19 years old, you had to be there. You had to come to town annually for these events. The story is set at one of these celebrations in Jerusalem. John chapter 5, verse number 1, reads like this. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethsaida with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. We're going to stop right there for just a moment. What we have here is inside the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city that has walls around it, and the, the walls were rebuilt about 450 years before when Nehemiah had come back with some of the exiles. They had rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. And, and Jerusalem, there's numerous gates around the city and around these walls. This one's referred to as the Sheep Gate. Is it would have been an area where sheep and livestock would come into the city for the sacrifice. There was a specific area, and this gate was specific for that need. There is a pool near this gate. I don't want you to think about like a community swimming pool, but a, more of a, a pool of water that is there. And there's around this pool... Some of your translations might say there's five porticos. It's like a, a porch, like a, a, a covering that would have been around the pool. Maybe if you're at a community pool and there's a covering area, it's not so much like pop-ups, but, but things with columns and has a roof. And it, it's this covering around the pool and under these porches where people would gather. But the people who gathered around the porches around this pool were the people who were really rejected from society. They were sick. There were people who were lame. There's people who were blind. People who were paralyzed. People who were mentally ill. People who may be missing a, an arm or have a, a, a withered hand. People who were handicapped. People who would talk to themselves all day. These are people who would gather under these porches because the people around town didn't want to see them. 
They were actually unclean by Jewish law. They weren't wanted in everyday society. They weren't welcome in the temple or the markets or or around the Pharisees at at all. Society had cast them out. And it's kind of like our modern day society does, is cast out this specific group of people. And one man who was in this group under the porch had been lying down there for 38 years, unable to walk. The Bible doesn't tell us how old he is, but he does say that he's, the Bible does say he's been sick for 38 years. I want to put that in perspective for you. I'm 43 years old. That means I would have been five years old when this man became sick. That would have been 1981. He would have been sick, unable to walk since 1981, lying under one of these porches. We don't know what kind of sickness that he has, but we're going to find out that, that it was, he was ill enough, he was sick enough, he, he, that he was reaching out outside the realms of modern-day medicine, what would have been modern-day medicine at his time. He was reaching out for anything that could, could heal him, even if it was kind of weird or wacky or what we might consider like a snake oil or a, whatever kind of products that would come on at television at like 3 a.m. This guy's looking for anything would best be able to relate, relate the mindset of this man and others around the pool if we were to think about the idea of maybe superstitions in order to properly address and understand what it is that's going through their mind. There, there's a very interesting Bible fun fact that we have to, that we have to look at, and I'll explain to, to see what's going on in, in, in his mind. Some of your Bibles are going to have a verse, and some of your Bibles are going to omit this verse. It's John 5, verse number 4. Your Bible might skip right over verse number 4, and I'll tell you why. Verse number 4 is going to explain to us something that verse number 7 is going to point to in a moment. And I don't want you to think that if it's not in your Bible, verse number 4, that there's anything wrong with your Bible. It is, uh, it's assumed that there were scribes later who added in verse number 4, and, and we find that in the King James Version. But what I'm going to do is read you verse number four, and it'll help us to understand what the mindset of the people around the pool had. This is from the the New King James Version. It It says this, In these around the porticos lay a multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease that he had. So this is what verse number four says. It says that there was an angel of the Lord that would come and stir the water. That's the superstition that people around the pool believed in at the time. It was their thought process. What was really happening and going on, this is a natural pool of water. And underneath there is a a stream under the water. And what would happen is as as this stream would move, sometimes you would have some water bubble up. Well, over, over time and over years, the water in this pool would bubble a little bit, and there became the superstition that if you were the first person into the pool when the water bubbled up, the angel of the Lord is in there and, and is stirring the water, and you're going to be healed by the angel, and you could walk out, and whatever it is, whatever ailment that you had, you're now going to be healed. We know this man couldn't walk. 
Back in those days, it would mean that somebody, if, if somebody was this physically ill or sick or handicapped, you would have to have somebody take you to the pool. Maybe a caregiver would have to lift you up and even take you there in the morning to put you now beside your friends, the other outcasts from town, right? And have to come and get you in the evening to take you home because he cannot walk, he cannot get there. He can't even get from his mat to the pool. And if you can imagine these porches and the outcasts of that society that are underneath them, people who are blind, people who are deaf, whenever the water moved, people would run to jump in, hoping to be the first person in to be healed. And that's their thought. That's their superstition is saying, oh, the first person in is going to get healed. Well, it's not something that happens, but they could chalk it up to, well, maybe the angel didn't heal this time. These are people around these porches, around this pool, who couldn't go into the temple because they're unclean, because their bodies are disfigured, because their, their legs are crippled, and their minds are deteriorating. The only hope for healing that they had was based on superstition. Other than that, they had no hope at all. So you and I at times can fall into that same that same situation in our spiritual lives, we are as sinners gathered with other sinners around a pool of outcasts. But see, our lives, our spiritual lives, don't have to stay this way because our spiritual lives come with hope. I want you to write this down. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us on the left-hand side of your bulletin, you're going to find some fill in the blanks, and I'm going to give you those answers, and they'll be up here on the screen as we go through the sermon today. Point number one in your notes this morning, in order to be healed by Jesus, we need to recognize that we are sick due to our sin. In order to be healed by Jesus, we need to recognize that we are sick due to our sin. Sometimes in our lives, we feel that we are so far away from grace that we lose hope. We lose hope that our souls can even be healed. Sometimes we feel that our soul is so sick that we don't even deserve to be healed. See, if Jesus were to come into our world today, if he was to walk up to some sinners on earth and ask if they wanted to be healed, there's some people in our world who are so used to their life of pain, so used to their life of suffering that it's hard to imagine what life would even be like on the other side of grace. There's some of us who spend 38 years in our sin and all we know is lying next to a pool with people who have no hope, right? With people who, whose hope is only based on a superstition, is only based on something that they make up in their, in their mind. As forgiving and accepting and righteous and welcoming as the hand of Jesus is, there are many who are in our world who would reject it, would reject the grace of Jesus because they know that their life living in their paralyzed souls and, and blind souls and deaf souls, that's all they know. And sometimes we, come, we become familiar with our illness and it feels safe because it's what we know. And sometimes when grace is offered, it's, we struggle reaching up our hand to, to take it. We get so comfortable. 
Our society gets so comfortable in sin that we don't want to get well sometimes. Let's face it. Let's call it what it is. Sometimes sin is worldly fun, right? Sometimes sin in our world can seem to be more fun. Jesus doesn't really care that much about our fun, right? He doesn't really care about our entertainment factor. He cares about our soul, right? That's what he, that's what he cares about. But sometimes we do. We, people can fall so deep that all we know is darkness. And, and seeing the light, seeing the light that Jesus brings, wow, that feels so far away. That feels so far away from, from who we are and so far away from what we've lived in. If somebody were to come in here and clean up all of our sin and darkness, somebody were to come into your life and clean it all up. Some of us might sit back and say, well, what would everyone else in my world say? What would my family say? What would my friends say? If my life totally changed for Christ right now, and people at home, they noticed a difference, what would they say? What would the people at work say? And at times, that can keep us away from walking to the light because we're comfortable with what everyone else says. What we're not is comfortable walking out and showing the light of Jesus. But he still has that grace. He still has that light for us. It should be no secret that our hearts are very troubled. We find that. That's the natural status of our, of our hearts. Throughout the Bible, we see Jeremiah 17, verse number 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's how our heart is. That's the nature of our hearts. There's a story written in Reader's Digest a, a few years ago that had... A, it, it was somewhat of a comical illustration of what your doctor says, but what your doctor really means. Said so if your doctor says something like, mm, you know what, there could be one of several things that's wrong. Says so what your doctor really means is this. I haven't any clue what's wrong with you. If, if your doctor says something like, are, are you sure you haven't had this before? What your doctor is saying is, mm, because you've got it again. You've had it, you've got it again. If your doctor says something like, you know what, I'd like to run that blood test again, what he might be saying is, eh, we lost the results from your last test. We need to do this one again. If your doctor says, oh, you know what, insurance should cover this, what that really means is get ready to sell something because you're going to need it. It's going to cost a whole lot more. Or these pills, they, they have very few side effects. What he really means is get ready to see hair growing in odd places. Like, you know, it's, it's just what's, what's going to happen. See, the man at the pool knew that he was sick. He knew it, and because of that knowledge, he sought treatment. In his mind, following this superstition, following the idea that getting in the water first, that was his only hope. That was the treatment that he was hoping for. The only thing that he saw as a viable option. But he recognized that he was sick. No one would lie next to a pool, under porches of the outcasts of society, if they weren't sick, if they weren't expecting, hoping that maybe there was a way that they can get to the water before anywhere else. For you and I, it's as if you and I sit outside the pool waiting to be healed. And it's as if we are waiting for our 
soul to be healed by some superstition that says, well, if, if you could just be good enough, you can make it to heaven. Or if, if you could just be better than the next guy, you can make it to heaven. Or the superstition that says, you know what, you create your own theology. You tell yourself that God is who you want him to be. And you can make it to heaven. Just, just tell yourself you're good enough. That's the same kind of superstition in our world for our souls that this man was basing his physical healing on. Because it's nothing but superstition, because it's not true. Because none of those spiritual superstitions only happen because there's no truth. There is only one truth, and that is in the Word of God. Amen? See, when the Holy Spirit leads your heart to come back to Jesus, we first need to recognize that we are sick that our souls are ill, right? And that it's our sin that is the problem. It's our sin that hurts our soul. No one comes to church because we are holy. Now, I didn't see anyone flying in here with your angel wings and your halo on this morning to come in. I certainly didn't fly in this morning, right? This isn't a place where angels come and gather and sing. This is a hospital for souls. The church is a place where we go to take our wounded soul to be healed by Jesus Christ. That's why we're, we're here. But in order to heal, we first need to recognize that we are sick, right? If there's somebody out in our society that says, I am perfect, I am sinless, I am going to heaven on my own accord because there is no sin in my life, that person probably doesn't need to be here, right? And if you could find that person, we would love to talk to them. But that person doesn't exist in our world. The person was only here once on, the, on this earth and walked this earth and died for you and I. In order to heal, we need to recognize that we are actually very sick. I want you to come back with me to John chapter 5, we're in verse number 7. John writes this, When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I'm going to stop again right there for a second. It sounds like a really strange question, doesn't it? There's the pool of sick people. Here's a guy, Jesus knows he's been there for 38 years, and you ask him, do you want to get well? That's crazy. Why would you even ask him? Well, you ask him because you want to know the answer. That's why you've asked him the question. We can't have the, the assumption that everyone around that pool wants to get well because, see, getting well means that life is going to change. Physically, getting well means that you're going from a place where your body is sick to a place where your body is not. You're going to get more energy, right? Maybe you had a leg that wasn't feeling well. Once it gets well, you're walking better again, right? It's the same thing with your spirit, with your soul. At one point, you are dark. At one point, just things are so down. When Jesus heals and your spirit becomes well, it's bringing you into a different territory. Your life will change. There are people that are resistant to that change. See, getting well was going to change this man's life. He, he was a cripple. 
He can't get from his mat to the pool on his own. He needs assistance from somebody else, and there's nobody there to help. But it means that, that throughout his life, somebody has to bring him food. Somebody has to take him from his house to that pool every day like a caregiver. Somebody has to care for his health. For 38 years, he's had somebody around to do these things. See, here's the thing. Here's a scary thing that can go through our, our minds is that if I'm well, I might, I might not be dependent on anyone else. Like, things are going to change. I have to do things on my own now, right? That's what happens as well when our soul becomes well. Being well means that he's going to be able to do these things that he couldn't have done in the past. And what that means is that we no longer have an excuse, Right? He'd no longer have an excuse to stay at home. He'd no longer have an excuse not to go to the temple. He can't go to the temple now because he's excluded, because he's unclean. No more excuses if you're well, right? Even in our own society, there are people who don't want to get well. There are people who are okay being dependent on others. Sometimes if we get well, we know that we've got responsibility now. But for this man, and just like us, Jesus offers a change of heart. He offers us change that leads to salvation. Watch this. Point number two in your notes this morning. In order to be healed by Jesus, we must accept His grace. In order to be healed by Jesus, we must accept His grace. Jesus alone has healing for our soul. There is nothing else on this earth or in this world that has the healing for your soul, that desperate cry of of, of your heart is crying for one thing, and that's the touch of Jesus. But see, we can't get well if we don't go see a doctor, right? We can't cover our own burns in a healing ointment of our Lord if we don't step into God's Word. If all... All of us have seen this picture of Jesus, maybe with his hands open, right? Like this. And he says, come. He says, come to me. And and I can heal and I can help. I know you're a sinner and I know that you do wrong sometimes and I know that you feel guilty, but I still want you to come and live with me. And he says that even though even though you don't deserve it, and you know that, and I know that, I still want to offer you grace and forgiveness because I love you. But the question is, are we going to accept His grace and His forgiveness and His treatment for the sinfulness of our soul? Are we going to accept it? The offer is there. He comes with a fresh start and with purity, and He absolutely can heal us, but He can't heal us if we don't want to be healed. He can't heal us if we don't accept His grace and forgiveness. Homelessness has become a big issue in our area. Not just Paris and the Inland Empire, all areas of California have been stricken with homelessness. And it's a big deal. There's a lot of of government agencies that are working with our homeless population. There's a lot of agencies that are doing good things for our populations. But every single agency will tell you that they can go out And they can spend a week out in the field talking to people. And there will be people who are homeless who will reject the help. There are people who will turn it away. 
There's people who just don't want the help. They don't want the gift. They won't accept the gift of another person. They're okay living where they're living because it's comfortable. Jesus has a gift for us. He tells us in Revelation 3.20, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. He's saying the gift is here. I have it for you. The question is, are we going to accept His gift of grace and forgiveness? Are we going to accept His healing for our soul? He's offering it. It's right there. This is true salvation. It's the understanding that the grace of Jesus that, is, that brings us to the foot of the cross is the only way to spend eternity with the Father in heaven. The only way. Not only does Jesus give us a way, but He gives us a plan. He tells us exactly what to do. He tells us how to accept, how to find eternal life. After we come to Jesus, we get to see him heal us. That is so important. It's so important to realize that this is the only way to heal our soul. I want you to come back with me into John 5. We're in verse number 8. Watch this. Jesus told him. Jesus tells the man, Stand up. Pick up your mat and walk and instantly the man was healed see the man had told Jesus yes I want to be healed but no one can get me to the water in time nobody can get me there so I can partake in the superstition nobody can get me to this to this pool of water that will heal me worldly or so we think He says, the man says, yes, I want to be healed. And that's all it takes. And Jesus goes to work. And the Bible says, immediately. He doesn't say that Jesus is going to to, to wait to heal your soul for a few months. He's not saying that, you know what, you've you've got all of these tests. He says, you're accepting my grace healed immediately. Jesus told this man, he says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus gave him direct commands. See, that's the one thing that comes with our salvation. It's not only the immediacy of the action of Jesus and the Holy Spirit moving into our hearts. It's the instructions that Jesus gives us. Watch this. Point number three in your notes this morning. In order to be healed by Jesus, we must follow His commands. Now, Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we're following his commands afterwards. We have commands of Jesus that that show us how to live a Christian life. We have to follow his commands for our salvation. We have to accept that gift, right? We have to accept that the Holy Spirit is going to bring us. But we have to accept that, that gift. When it comes to the commands of Christ, he's telling us that The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Those are the commands. We have to believe in our heart. Confess with our mouth. That's what we do. That's what Jesus says. That's it. We don't get 
healed by Jesus by not following his directions to salvation. We can't just think that we're better than the next guy and that Jesus is going to heal us because we're better. Christ is here. He has a plan for his children. And yeah, you and I are to work on those that that aren't his, his children yet. That's our job. And the Holy Spirit, we bring others to Christ. But he's here to heal the souls of those that are coming into his kingdom. Amen? That's our job to follow. Following the example of Jesus is just so important to the Christian life. There are a lot of people who try and pave their own path, their own path to salvation, and walk through life as if they're the leader of their own salvation. But we are told to follow. There's a story of a young woman who wanted to go to college. And she was filling out an application for the college that she wanted to go to. And she was putting it back in the mail. There was a question on this application that said, are you a leader? She had thought about it for a while and wanted to be as honest as she could on the application. So she said, no, I'm not a leader. So she returned the application expecting the worst. She got a letter back in the mail about three weeks later, and it really surprised her. She opened it up, and it says, Dear Applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. And we're accepting you because we feel that it's imperative that they have at least one follower. Jesus is asking us to follow, right? It's not our job to lead ourselves to salvation it's our job to follow his direction. 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 and 16 says this, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't, you didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. See, Jesus gives us a path to salvation. He says, I want you to follow this command. The commands he gave immediately to this man was get up, pick up your mat, and walk. That's the wondrous thing about our life in Christ is one minute we are so lost and the next minute our lives have meaning. The next minute our lives have direction. The next minute our lives have a path. And Jesus lays all of that out for us. Isn't it amazing to go from a life of superstition and nothingness to go to a life full of hope? To going to a life that is absolutely full of the presence of God? What an amazing transformation that is. But it's not done. I want you to see how important this power of Jesus is. John chapter 5, come back with me. We're in verse number 9. John writes this, But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Wow. We've talked about the Pharisees over the last couple of weeks, right? The religious elite. 
They, they are the, the guys who run the temple. They're the guys who are, who are the, the, the leaders, the church leaders of the time. Steeped in Judaism, steeped in their own man-made rules. God never said, you cannot carry your bed on a Saturday. These men over the years had created rules. It comes off of the, one of the Ten Commandments that says you should keep the Sabbath holy, right? What they have done is they've created all these rules that says, okay, well, to keep it holy, that means you can't work. And now they have to have definitions on what work is. Carrying your mat on the Sabbath is work, and you can't do that. Even if you haven't carried a mat for 38 years, you can't do that because it's the Sabbath. Jesus doesn't really care. This is such a powerful point. It's the final point in your sermon notes this morning. There, is, there are no restrictions on the power and the grace of our Savior. There are no restrictions on the power and the grace of our Savior. Isn't that amazing to know? There is no restricting the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? There is no Restrictions, there's nothing holding them back. Jesus healed a man on a Saturday. On the religious Sabbath, even Jesus healing the man would be against the law. See, the doctors couldn't really work. If it was an extreme, life-saving case, they might get an exception to be able to go and do some medical work. But other than that, they're closed on Saturday. It's the Sabbath. They're not doing anything. If you fell out of a tree and broke your arm, you're going to wait because it's a Sabbath. Jesus doesn't have that restriction. Jesus, by healing on the Sabbath, what he's saying is that there is no power that is greater than mine. He's saying there's no law that is greater than mine. He's saying there is nothing that is going to restrict me from offering grace and forgiveness to anyone I want, whenever I want. It doesn't matter if it's the Sabbath. It doesn't matter if it's a, a Friday night after a terrible party and you come to Christ on your knees somewhere in, in some back alley somewhere. God can still be there. There's nothing that can restrict His grace. The government can't restrict the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Your family cannot restrict the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Your co-workers can't restrict the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Neither can your friends. Society can't. Society's made-up morality can't restrict it. Grace is defined by as unmerited favor. It's a... It's, it's favor that we didn't earn. That's grace. But see, grace isn't earned, it's given. We didn't earn it, but Jesus gives it. And he gives it willfully to us. John Newton was a former slave ship master. That's what he did throughout his time. He was very good at it. He would bring slaves from Africa. He would bring them to the United States. And it was his trade for many, many, many years. And after he became a follower of Christ in 1748, it took him a long time to speak out against the slave trade. 
John Newton once said, he said, when I get to heaven, there's going to be three wonders that I will see when I get there. He says the first wonder is going to be to see people there who I didn't expect to see. He said the second wonder is going to be walking around heaven and not seeing the people that I expected to see. And he said the third wonder is that I'm going to be there. He said is... As sinful as I am, Jesus can still save me. That's his grace. That's his forgiveness. John Newton went on to pen one of the most beloved hymns. He wrote these words, and people have sung this song for generations. He wrote the words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me says, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Grace. Grace is one of the most distinctive features of Christianity. No other faith in the world is based on grace. No superstition is based on grace. They're all based on works. Every other faith system in the world is based on works, on you doing something to get yourself somewhere. But it's based on you. This man's healing before Jesus was based on his own works. His works was getting into the pool before everyone else. Ladies and gentlemen, if our salvation was based on us getting into the pool before everyone else, we'd be doomed, right? We would absolutely be doomed we can praise Jesus for His grace. Amen? Because without it, we have absolutely no hope. But in order to receive God's grace, we have to surrender. We can't give somebody grace if they won't accept it. And God can't give you grace if you don't accept it. If we don't accept it, the Apostle Paul was taught a lesson from God about grace. It's in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this. He says, Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, watch this, watch what God says, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. God says, no, you're going to keep that. My grace is enough for you. He says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Power of Christ can't work through, through us if we don't accept His grace, right? It's us. It's up to us to accept His gift. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to get ourselves into heaven. Absolutely nothing. We must accept the grace of Jesus Christ. Grace is somebody showing favor to us that we did not earn. It's, it's somebody showing favor to us that we don't deserve because what we do deserve is what we earn by our wages. Our work earns death. That's the wages of our sin, right? 
That's our paycheck. At the end of our life, when we turn in our time card of life and we say, this is all of our works, it gets stamped. We get that paycheck that says the wages of your sin is death. You tried doing this on your own? Here's your check. It's death. Jesus says, I bring grace. I bring forgiveness. You just have to reach out and accept it. It's the one thing about grace that it takes two people to accomplish every grace action. It takes a grace giver and it takes somebody to accept grace. See, before you were even born, Jesus offered you grace. His side of that grace relationship has already been accomplished. He's offering you grace. His offering of grace is going to continue. The question is, have you accepted His grace? Some people in our world are just, they're unwilling to accept His grace because they're so comfortable in the darkness. Would it be fair to say that we all know somebody in our life like that? Thinking about people in our life, can we think of somebody who's very comfortable in the darkness? I know here today, I know here today this is a message on salvation. It's absolutely an evangelistic message. To say Jesus Christ can heal our souls. And I know that there's many people in this room whose soul has been healed by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. I know that. There very well may be somebody here today who, is, who needs to accept Jesus. But here's the one thing I want everyone, every Christian here today to know. Is that we know somebody in our life that needs the blood of Jesus Christ, right? We know somebody who needs to be reminded about the grace of Jesus Christ. Who needs to be reminded that doing it on ourselves, doing it by ourselves, is a superstition. You can get to the water first, but it's not going to heal you. Only Jesus will heal your soul. And it's us to tell others about that. It's up to us to tell people that yes, Jesus wants to heal you. And I know you're trying to do it on your own. And you can't. And I couldn't. And everyone here at church, all of these, every other Christian out here, they couldn't do it on their own either. We're all sinners. We're not angels. We don't have wings. We have baggage. Right? We do have things that we tote around with us. But what we also have is hope. And we have the love of Jesus. And we should all have a desperate desire to share it with the world. To share this hope with our families, with our friends, with our co-workers, to let them know the grace of Jesus simply is, is going to tell you that believing in Him, your soul can be healed and it's time to stand up and pick up your mat and to walk. Walk on legs that haven't worked in 38 years. Walk with a soul that hasn't been healed yet, that's, that's, just, that, that's filthy of a lifetime of grime and sin. And let Jesus walk you through that valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Come walk with Christ.
It's up to us to tell others this message of Jesus. But if you're here today and your soul doesn't know this hope, you can know this hope this morning. You can walk this morning back into a world with your vision absolutely changed. This man hadn't walked for 38 years, and now his feet work. Did you notice that the Bible doesn't tell us that he had to get up and, and, and kind of stumble to figure out how to use his feet again? Uh-uh. He was healed completely immediately. And your heart can be healed completely immediately as well. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward, and I can, I'll pray with you. If you want to come to Jesus, you come forward, and we will pray. And if there's somebody in your life that needs to come to Christ, I'd ask you to take this time to pray for them. If your soul is sick, come to Jesus. If there's somebody in your world, if there's somebody in your life whose soul is sick, bring them to Jesus. The next step in our lives as new Christians is a public proclamation of our faith. And that's what baptism is. Baptism is a time when we, when we say, I am publicly proclaiming that I am a child of God. And we have a baptism ceremony, and we're going to do that in about a month or so. And if you have not been baptized, I'd ask you to come and see me. And let's proclaim that faith to the world through public proclamation of your faith. And if you're coming to Christ today, you let us know as well, because we want to celebrate a brother or sister that has now stepped into the family of God. Amen? It is absolutely a time of celebration. This is a place. This is a place where wounded hearts come to heal. And up front here in a moment, I'd ask anyone who wants to pray, anyone who needs prayer, to bring your baggage and your burdens to Jesus. Let's pray.